All right, folks, welcome to the podcast again. Uh, we've got Mr. Del Morris in studio today. He's going to be talking about uh, his career in aviation and his love of aviation and how that brought him here to Loft as an instructor and a Czech airman. We're going to talk about uh, some of the things that he's seen in class and uh, how some of the clients are react, both uh, um, low time and high time, and uh, how some of the check ride stuff works as well. So hope you enjoy it. We, as always, um, love input. We've got an email address, podcast at loft.aero, A-E-R-O. That's podcast at loft.aero. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email that. And as always, you can check out our website, which is loft.aero, A-E-R-O, loft.aero. Welcome to the Loft Podcast. Um, it occurred to me that I should probably start off by telling everybody why we're doing this. Um, I'm an aviation enthusiast. I flew many years uh, commercially for a uh, legacy carrier airline, but I started off in um, corporate aviation. And when I took a leave of absence, I went back to corporate aviation, did some jet instructing, and uh, just have an overall general love of aviation. Um, I work for Loft, which is a 142 flight training company. We specialize in CE500 and 525 initials and recurrence, um, and we just love it. So that's why we do this. Thought maybe it might be good to get some really cool folks from aviation um, and even just supporting of aviation to come in, sit down with us, and have a chat, see what we come up with. Um, I don't know that it's going to be so much the uh, hangar stories, but those might filter in every once in a while but uh, see if we can find some information out from our clients, instructors, and anybody else that wants to come in here and talk to us. And uh, that leads me to our first guest, which is uh, Del Morris. Mr. Del Morris, welcome. Thank you very much. He is one of our uh, esteemed instructors and a training course evaluator, um, better known as a Czech Airman. So he's able to do recurrence and initials, type ratings for us, and uh, an instructor as well, and actually responsible for a great deal of our material that we present out to the client, manuals, um, panel posters, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm glad you took some time to come and chat with us. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. If uh, you don't mind, maybe just a little bit of your background, starting from an kind of aviation themed, if you don't mind, uh, how you got into aviation and uh, how you got kind of to our current position with us now. Sure. Um, I uh, graduated from college a thousand years ago, and uh, <laughs> Vietnam was still going on. And uh, when back at that point in time, you were going to war, and uh, I hadn't really flown before. I grew up in a community where I wasn't really exposed to it, and started flying in the Air Force as soon as I got out of school, and fell in love with it right away. I uh, went right and did I you started, go into the Air Force to I, fly airplanes? I did. Okay. Yeah, and I started flying KC one thirty fives. Uh, I was on active duty for eight years, and I stayed on in an active reserve squadron, continuing to fly while I pursued civilian flying. I got a type rating in the 500 uh, pretty early on. Uh, got my civilian ratings all the way through ATP. What was and, the impetus for doing the 500 type rating? Um, it was financially advantageous at the time. You know, it was a, <laughs> it was it. a nice little airplane. military pay for it? They did. Excellent. Yeah. So it worked out really well. And um, uh, so I pursued the airlines after that. Went to work for Continental Airlines, which there's a lot of labor issues and management issues with Say that. Say it's not so. Uh, sometimes there is in the, <laughs> in the big world. Yeah. So um, 
walked away from that, and I was picked up by a, a smaller airline, a, a new an upstart called Jet America. We flew, uh, we were the launch customers for the MD-80. All right. Uh, we were, uh, flew there for about two years before Alaska Airlines bought us, and then I finished my career re- retiring from Alaska. Excellent. So uh, what, while I was on active duty in the Air Force, I flew not only the 135, but have a little bit of Sabreliner time as well. The, oh, really? The what did they use the Sabreliner for? Um, mostly uh, executive transport. So oh, I was okay. flying generals around doing whatever Very I nice. to go do. That was a great airplane. It was. Straight pipe. You had the straight pipe motors or were there fans? Uh, the straight, straight pipe motors. Yeah, because gas did not matter. Nope, it didn't. <laughs> Unfortunately, no autopilot. So every time the really the general wanted to come up and say hi, we had to retrim. You know, so interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. How many of those did they have? Uh, boy, you know, I don't know. We had just two or three at the base where I was flying. Right. You know, did you call them something different other than sabers? No, saber liners. T thirty nine saber liners. T thirty nines. T thirty nines. Yeah. Interesting. That's good. And do you think that 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 type of flying helped you? Um, your essentially your commercial career started uh to an extent but you know i went right into big airplanes you know i went right from the 135 to the md80 to the 737 right uh and so i didn't have that much experience with small airplanes and until later in life you know so and renting and such like that while you were flying for alaska yeah just you know 172s and what nice you know so that's good yeah, that's definitely a love yeah. of mine as well, too, or the smaller airplanes. Yeah. It's, it's just, it was how I started, so I can never forget about it. Yeah, that's good. You know, at, uh, when I was in the military, I went through the, the process of becoming an instructor and an evaluator in the military as well. And I had some responsibility for doing ground school classes. And so that, that's where I got started with what I can, I've been able to continue here at Loft. Right. I, was, um, I, was, I rewrote a lot of our ground school courses for the 135 because they were just not user-friendly. Yeah, I bet. So <laughs> it was very structured, very, um, <clears throat> as you know, more schematic and numbers-oriented than operator-oriented. Right. And so we... We writ- the, the original material was written by the manufacturer? Yeah, okay. uh, and, and engineers it in the Air Force. Oh, wow. so it was just, Oh, that's painful. It was bad. Yeah, that's painful. And so we traced it from what does the, you as the operator need to do when you see an, eva- an enunciator light, and what are you going to do with the switches that are available to you? Exactly what we were doing here at Lawford. Right, right. You know, which is a, a much better way of a much better approach because that's right. what you have to use up in the front. right. And then when you went to Alaska, you you actually went into the training department at Alaska as well. I did. Yeah. Was, was that that was later on in your career? It was. I did. Yeah. Obviously, you fly for. I was flying for ten or twelve years with Alaska before I became a Czech Airman, and went to the training department there, which was a lot of fun too. I bet. Yeah, I good. bet. All pro pilots. I mean, that's one of yep. the reasons that I got involved in this was going through Americans training. Pro- I mean, it was the best in the world. Oh It yeah. was unbelievable what the airlines can do. Right. And, yeah. and the, the level at which they train their crew members is astonishing. Hence the accident rate, you know, next to nil. Yeah, it's – that's true. It's good. And uh, if I recall correctly, too, you were instrumental in coming up with some of Alaska's more, shall we say, creative approaches. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, we, it, RNAV it, and, and the like? Well, not no, not so much. That's R and P is what they R&P. started with. Yeah, got you it. Know, that was a, no, that was a different section than, than I was involved with. Okay. Okay. Um, but we did institute uh, what's all, the, what's all electronic R M P stand for? Uh, required navigational performance. Right. That's where we had, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, two INS units and two GPS units on each airplane. Okay. With a cruise map, cruise missile map installed in the in the avionics, and so you could see where you were flying as you're going through canyons and. Yeah, I think I remember Gino. you showing me a video of that. Yeah, which it was, was pretty just select. gorgeous, yeah. just gorgeous, and that essentially allowed you then to get 
lower minimums, correct? Significantly lower minimums, yeah, right. as we go into the last Because I remember southeast. following Alaska 737 into Juneau, and he made it in, and we did not. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't even close. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. And, and it's all GPS-based, correct? Uh, it's all internal. GPS and INSs that talk to each other. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it's a highly sophisticated system that they had on there. Right. Yeah. And so for most of Alaska, you guys developed, I mean, Alaska itself... Uh, airlines developed most of those RMP approaches into those airports. Correct? They did, yeah, and then yeah. kept them specific for their operation, or did they release any of that to the public? Oh, it's 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 gone worldwide now. I mean, we have a lot of them now that are uh, have made their way down to the lower forty-eight, or I was flying them into Washington National. Wow, you know, and, uh, it's too bad they couldn't have monetized that, huh? Uh, they did. <laughs> oh, they did. Yeah, the the the. The, there was a co-pilot who was an aerospace engineer that essentially came up with this idea. And he took a leave of absence, and he went to work for General Electric. Brilliant. Brilliant. Off he goes. <laughs> you know, so we'll probably see him coming through after he buys his own CJ4. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Or maybe a, a global at that kind of yeah. rate. Yeah. <laughs> So what was the um, what was your motivation for going into the training department at Alaska? Because I know that's you know there's a lot of, there's a big difference at least I noticed when I was uh, at American that you know there's the just the dedicated line pilots that just want to fly the line that's all they want to do they want to retire and they want to get out and then the ones that have more of a shall we say love of it and then they tend to seem like they end up in the training department is that how you kind of got there pretty much yeah and I just like teaching. You know, I just, I feel like that's something I have a knack for, and uh, it's always been really kind of fun for me, uh, re- rewarding me to, to be able to work with somebody and have, and see that aha moment come. Yes. And say, I, oh, I, I get it. I completely agree yeah. with you. you know, There's so. a huge difference, too, between taking information in and giving it out, and I get oh. a lot of enjoyment out of it. No, yeah, and I had no idea, I'd been flying a... The, the airplane for 10 years before I started teaching it. I had so no idea how little I knew about it. Good point. You know? Good point. You know? That's a good point. I, yeah, yeah, I think we were talking about this the other day, that the level of knowledge to be able to regurgitate some information to a check airman while you're going through, say, an oral for a type rating right. is astonishingly limited in that answer as opposed to having a completely different understanding of that system to be able to present it to the client. Right. Those are just completely different worlds. Yep. And uh, I think we've all met pilots that are phenomenal aviators, unbelievably gifted, who couldn't teach if their life depended on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. They just couldn't. So that's the first thing I learned, too, is how little I didn't know about the CJ when we first started that process. Right. Yeah, the same thing. Excellent. Yeah. So you were an instructor for a while and then became a Czech airman, or is it kind of one and one it's in the sort same? Of, it's sort of one and the same. You know, you, kind of what we do here at law. If you need a year uh, before they'll even let you be a Not even that. It's much more rapid than that. Oh. You know, you, it, it's uh, trial, trial by fire. Excellent. You know, and because you've, you, come <clears throat> to the, you come to that environment having flown the line for so long. Yes. Right. right. Got right. it. Excellent. Yeah. And then uh, what, brought you, what brought you here? Well, after I retired, um, I was uh, out of that, that environment for a while. And I just I, I missed it. Yeah. And I wanted to get back into the teaching program, and and so I found you guys just almost by accident, and I'm really well, glad. I'm glad you did. <laughs> I am too. You know, it's it's been really great for me. I just this is a terrific place. You well, know, we've we, loved having you. We have what 10, 12 instructors 14. now. Fourteen. 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 Yeah. And, and essentially, we're most of us are retired airline guys, and I think we all have this there's, sort there's of. There's a reason we do that, Dell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, um, you know, I was in the Air Force Reserve too, and and. My buddies here that are Navy Reserve guys and Air Force Reserve guys, it's like being in the reserves again. Yeah. We get to come to work and hang out with your friends and talk about flying. Right. I mean, it's everybody yeah. likes being here, and that's, that's why that's we're doing huge, this. Huge. Yeah. You know? I think so. And I think, too, personally, 
And you bring up a good point about kind of the qualifications of folks that we bring in. We want folks that had real world experience, that flew airplanes, military, commercial, whatever the case may be, to be able to bring that ideology to the small corporate world. Because I think we would all be in agreement. Most corporate pilots, I think, would be in agreement that the training, we can strive to do better. You know, we can strive to do better. The airlines are full-time, an astonishing amount of money, astonishing amount of of effort put into their training departments, where in the corporate world, I think we could add to that. And so I, I, I feel like the qualifications of the folks that are here add to that. And, and bring that mm-hmm. real-world experience so that when we do have clients that are sitting in a class, they ask a question that may just be off the rails a little bit that's got nothing to do with the citation, but you guys can answer it because you've seen it and done it. Right. You've seen a snowflake hit a wing, which yeah. is nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, and, but also, um, you know, you could take the avionics, the flight deck that's in a, uh, an Ultra or a, a CJ, and you could put that in a 777. You could, it still flies the same. Right. You know, right. It, well, for a while, that would have been advanced avionics for those. It, I, yeah, I remember no kidding. flying the steam gauges on the oh, 80. Yeah. It was it was archaic. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, getting a vector, taking off from New York and getting a vector to San Diego? Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. think most people knew that. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't have GPSs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there's a there's a big carryover from what how you operate this airplane to big airplanes. I, I mean, once you're in, in the air doing your thing, um, you don't care what's behind you. Right. You know, you, you're, you're still following the same procedures, executing the same procedural steps to make this thing happen. So you spent most of your career, including the military, flying as a crew. Did you find yes. that the transition to this newfangled, you know, single pilot jet experience, how did you feel about that when you first started it? It's, it's challenging. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, one of the demographics that we have a tough, uh, that I don't want to say struggle, but they have to work harder than most are the retired airline pilots that come in. We were talking about that the other day. Yeah. Yep. It is indeed. To go from a a crew airplane to a single pilot airplane is tough. And then on top of that, not to have auto throttles to back you up. (laughs) Or a HUD or CAT3 capability. Yeah. (laughs) Which kind of leads to um, one of the issues that guys have to work through with training is realizing how important that checklist is yes. and checklist discipline uh, kind of spanks guys sometimes because uh, in a crew airplane you have another pilot to back you up in the single pilot airplane you just have the checklist yes and so you better be able to go through that checklist step by step and and make sure that you accomplish it correctly right that's your only backup right that's it i think yeah. one of the things that i had, had tried to impart to clients too is is that because of that no backup, because you've got nobody sitting there. And it could be just a simple question as, hey, what are you doing that for? Right. It might catch an error exactly. right, that you've made. Is, is that you have to take a different philosophy as it relates to double-checking yourself. And I don't know mm-hmm. about you, but you know, as a type A individual, and most pilots are, that's just a part of the nature of what we do, um, we tend to not do that. It, and it's actually not second nature to us to go, right. did, I, did I do that properly? You know, Did right. I really do that? And I, I see it all the time in the sim, I'm sure you do as well, is guys just rushing through stuff and, and skipping things yep. that somebody in the right seat would have went, hey, I think you were supposed to pull the throttle back first before you push that big red button. Exactly. And yep. I, I don't know about you, but I see that a lot. And so that's kind of the, the biggest tip that I can give too, is just slow down, being new to the yep. single pilot environment. If you're flying King Airs and Conquests your entire career, you're going to be a snap because you're, you, you're used to the, the level that you have to be at coming into the terminal area to double-check yourself or make a yep, mistake. That's right. But you just mentioned another. You touched on something else that's also really important, and that's slow down. Yeah. People rush themselves way too much, especially on check rides. I even do it. 
without question. Oh, yeah. All the time. I catch myself doing it. And everybody has to slow down. That's the biggest stumbling block, I think, as you go through this training program. They push themselves. And I do. I want to circle back around with that because I think that, uh, you know, anybody that's going down this process, either for the first time or maybe the third or fourth time, um, I I think we have some things to offer to the general public on opinions on that. But I want to circle back around with that in a second. Before we go down that road, um, you have spent a great deal of time in the classroom both for Loft, Alaska, and for the military. Um, You've got different, you know, the military was a different deal because I think for most of the part, you were dealing with astonishingly green folks. You didn't really have too many Mm -hmm. folks that were coming in highly qualified. Here at Loft and in Alaska, all, everybody that walked in the door had to get hired at Alaska Airlines so they knew what they were doing and had a high level of uh, qualifications to get there. Here at Loft, we actually have a combination of both. We have the green folks. The, mm-hmm. There's their first type rating. They're they're very new to the jet corporate world. And then we got guys that walk in here with 13 type ratings and two lunar landings. Do you find that as an instructor, and, and you know, the classes are small, but we do have in uh, on occasion those combined events, green guys sitting right next to a blue angel. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that you have to adjust the material for either one of those folks, or if you do, how is it that you do that with those two guys sitting in the room? Well, that, that's a great question. And I just finished up class this past week with that exact uh, picture. I had one guy had 20,000 hours, the other guy had 2,500 hours. Oh, perfect. And um, what's interesting is that the, the 20,000 hour guy, as well as the 2,500 our guy had different experiences that they were able to share with one another. That's what I love about that. Yeah, it's a, it was awesome. I love an that. awesome experience. And, and, and I love the <clears> fact <throat> that a lot of this stuff is going online. You know, some of our other training providers mm-hmm. are doing pre-courses ahead of time before showing up. I love it. I get it. You know, timing is an issue, especially for a professional pilot. Right. But I think there's something to be said for the absolute invaluable nature of sitting in a room with aviators who have different experience levels that can bring something to the table. Yep. So I don't think you? they'll ever get rid of ground school for initials. You know, there's there's companies out there where you can definitely do recurrence without going into a ground school, but I think you lose a little something. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then and you can read a lot of books, but to be able to put something into practice is is tougher. But when you're sitting there in a classroom, like one of the issues that came up this past week was, okay, I, I want to fly out of. Uh, uh, I just lost the airport. What's, what's, uh, just, just make something up. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Chicago. Now, this was a, a 9,000 foot pressure altitude airport at uh, North, what's North of Aspen? Telluride. Telluride. So he's flying out of Telluride. And so we uh, went. By the way, if you go into Telluride and you're not scared, I want the clients to tell you that because we need to immediately report to them in the FAA. <laughs> you need to be scared going into those airports, <laughs> at and, least a little bit. Yeah, at least this, a little this, bit. This, this gentleman was has been flying out of Telluride since they opened the airport. Oh wow! Okay, and, so he's got it wired. And so we went through all the performance, and he was shocked to see that he shouldn't be doing what he's been doing. Oh really? <laughs> in a in a straight CJ? Yes. Uh-huh. And so we yeah. we uh, we went all through that, and he has, and this is you know a guy with a lot of time, right? But he's just hit something that he hadn't been exposed to before, and so it was valuable for him and for this younger guy who's just getting started to understand what it has to deal with. Perfect. I love yeah. it. I love it. Um, so when, getting back then to that topic, so if you're sitting in that room with a 2,500-hour guy and a 20,000-hour guy, um, how, how do you adjust your material? 
I mean, do you do? You, are, are you talking individually? Are, is it, are you hoping that they ask questions that, like for the younger guy, is he asking questions that maybe you got to spend some time on, like how a jet engine works? I mean, how do you approach that? Uh, it 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 seems to work itself out. I mean, I I've been taking the approach now is that you know I, I put the the cockpit panel up and say, okay, let's talk about this. You do this during the pre-flight. Why do you do that? Excellent. And it's interesting how uh, the the twenty thousand hour guy. I'm not so sure about that. I don't remember. So, you know, I think we get... We well, he hasn't pre-flighted an airplane in several several decades. Yeah. So I think you, over time, you start taking things for granted. Right. And it's kind of an, uh, interesting to get back to basics sometimes to help these guys say, oh, oh, now I understand why that light comes on. Right. You know, and that's... So that's rewarding as well. Um, and they get... you uh, The older... The, the more experienced guys, I won't use the word old, um, they get into a certain mindset and they just take a lot of they cut a lot of corners right, right. so which shows up in the simulator and we so we're able to address that yeah. those issues as we, well. we made the joke a while back too that i've had one instance as a check airman i've had one instance of having a client show up for the oral with the book still in cellophane yeah that's probably not going to go well <laughs> <laughs> so um you probably have a pretty good idea then too, and we struggle with this on the on the sales side and the operation side. We try to help out the client as much as we can in you know giving them pre information. We send out the book at a time. We send out the the panel poster. Um, we send out a, you know electronic link to the manuals, whether it's the five twenty five or five hundred. Um, and I know it's different from an initial and recurrent, but let's take the initials for example. What advice would you give prior to showing up for a type rating in a 525 or a 500, no matter what training facility to go to? What would you recommend to do prior to showing up? Prepare as much as you can. You know, the advantage to— Could you expand on that a little bit? I will. Okay. The the advantage to our program is that uh, it's it's compressed in a way. But the more work you do before you get here, the— better the experience that you're going to have when you get here. Uh, the better prepared you are, the more sense this information is going to make when, when you have it, and it's going to be a much more comfortable program for you. So give me the bullet points on preparation. What, what am I doing? I've got the manual in my hand. What do you, what do you recommend? Do I just start reading it? Because I've got to tell you, Dell, I'm not going to do that. I'm just not. Um, you know, I'm thinking six days of ground school. They're going to they're gonna force feed this to me. I'll be fine. To, to an extent, but you have to have a certain level of understanding. Uh, I would say if you get here with a knowledge of – you know you know you're going to have to memorize the limitations. You know you're going to have to memorize the, point. the memory items. Good point. Get it so done. that's just rote memorization get it at done. that point. Uh, buckle up. I mean, nobody likes to do it, but you got to do it. Right, and get, that takes time. It, it does. Yeah. And so just get your flashcards out. Do whatever it is that you need to do to get that information in your brain so that when you get here – you don't have, you're not starting at that point. That's already there. Right. And then you can devote your time to understanding the, 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 the systems as they come to you. Right. I think one of the nice things— If I read a system, I can tell you right now, if I picked up a Falcon 50 book and tried to read about the hydraulic system, I'm probably not going to get it. Well, you so, know, one of the things that Loft has, I think, that, it, that helps you out with that, at the end of each one of our system sections, there's 10 questions. They're just—they're they're not involved. They're not in detail. So go through those 10 questions and go back through those systems— and just find the answers oh, to those questions. Prior to ground school. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're not going to understand the system, but it will at least help you when you get into class. Say, oh, I kind of remember that now. Oh, right. now I kind of remember where to go in the section to find out what he's talking about. Right. You know, right. So it gives you a baseline to start with. 
Yeah. I think one of the things that I had struggled with too, even at the airlines, was which was new to me, which were memory items. You know, yeah. if you're coming out of, um, you know, say a smaller aircraft and a Cessnas or 340s, they just don't have red boxed items, you know, that you right. absolutely positively, I think in American we used to say rote was adequate, you know, where you have to say it line by line and accomplish those tasks yes. prior to even finding the checklist. Yes. So I think that um, what you're suggesting is limitations and those memory items as well, because yes. again, it's just rote memorization. That's exact, exactly right. Yeah. I like it. I like yeah. it. What about a recurrent? Guy's been uh, here five or six times. But interestingly enough, you, the, the guy coming back for recurrent may have also let go of those memory items. No, so. don't say it's not so. <laughs> That's ridiculous. So, Memorized the entire time. I can remember going on a, back on a to weekly re- basis. I, I, I can remember going back to recurrent myself and opening up my manual and seeing all this highlighted information. Said, who, who did that? Did, did my kid get a hold of this book? You know, so yeah. things things drop through your brain. Right. You know, so. Right. So same, same thing. thing. Same thing. Yeah, okay. Just review the systems. Sure. I mean, you know, and I think that's I think one of the things that because a recurrent check ride is essentially the exact same as your initial check ride. It's called out, right? Sixty one fifty eight. Common misconception. Review ride. Everything's going to go fine. You know, there's no pressure. It is identical. It, it is. is identical. It's exactly the same ride. Right. The yeah. eighty nine hundred is extremely specific about what is entailed in a sixty one fifty eight, FAR sixty one fifty eight recurrent ride. Yes. So you have to be at the same level of preparation you were 12 months ago. You do. Yeah. yeah. Now, fortunately, the more check rides you have, usually it gets easier. You, you, you can let go of that pressure that you feel on yourself. You know exactly what to study. Yeah. 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 And it's, I think what we have some, and I, I'm going to speak for myself, not for you on this one. Um, what I seem to see, too, on the, on the check ride arena is the guys that have more trouble are the ones that are flying multiple equipment. Because as mm-hmm. the 6158 reg is written... You know, I can flip-flop jets. So one year I can do the CJ, and then the next year I can do the Falcon. Well, that's 24 months between the last time I went through the CJ material and when I'm sitting here at Recurrent. Right. That is an astonishing amount of time. Yeah. I mean, we know that skill set on just IFR skills goes away in six months, evaporates. You know, it starts yeah. to get weak at three. I think you folks, too, at, at Alaska, because um, we had the same thing in American, where there was a certain amount of time that couldn't go th- by – without you having done a cat three or you were not allowed oh yeah do you remember what that was i don't remember what it was for i I want to say it's 90 days as well yeah Yeah. but we uh we had a it was sort of institutionalized every every month you had to do a cat three landing in the airplane right the actual process every every 30 days right you you could go longer than that but we mandated every 30 days you had to go through that and there was an amazing amount of research done by boeing mcdonald douglas everyone to know exactly when that brain rot occurred and so that's where that that's time right. frame came from. Yep. We could suck that over from the commercial airlines into the corporate world and adopt the same philosophy that if you go 24 months without having looked at the CJ book, that's a bad idea. Yeah. That's a bad idea. Well, and the other thing, too, I mean, uh, you know, we have a lot, of, a lot of guys that fly these airplanes out in, in the West Coast, and they never see weather. And so they come back here <laughs> once every 12 months. It's the first time they've done an, an ILS. Right. I, and, our skills are, are in yeah. need of some help. And so we, as you know, we really encourage guys, get out there and fly an ILS, fly an RNAV. Hand flown. Yeah, every yeah. once in a while, even though it's VFR, just to make sure that those procedures don't get dropped right. down. Right. And I think we've run into some same of this, the similar issues, too, with, say, owner-operators that mm-hmm. have not owned aircraft like this before. And the way I describe it is this airplane takes you to the weather, you know, because when you were in the 340 <laughs> – the range of that airplane, probably the way you take off and look out the window is probably where you're headed. It's going to be about the same weather, but not in the jet. The jet, yeah. you're going to go 
to where the weather is. You may be able to fly above it for most of the time, but you're going to go out maybe nice, but you're going to come into the weather as you're in your destination. So it can really surprise you how quickly you're right. going to need those skills yep. and that skill set and not relying upon the autopilot to save you. Yeah, which a lot of guys do. They just flip on that autopilot, expect it's going to do what handy. they want it to do, yeah. and it goes where it does it. they're not expecting it to go. Right, right. And I think we all here at Loft, too, especially in this training environment, do our best to spot those things or maybe where they might be crutching a little bit and try to reach out and, and help them remove that crutch by either getting their skill set up mm-hmm. or maybe coming up with a different philosophy, right? Yep. Difference between technique and, you know, running a checklist is running a checklist. Right. But the technique of how it is that you load the approach, we're not going to mess with that secret sauce too much, I think. You know, right. if the guy's got a certain flow and a certain way that he likes to set up that approach, I've seen some really creative stuff, and I've seen the shotgun approach, you know, where they just kind of sure. hit it until they feel like they've got it all. Yeah. Um, I try to kind of stay out of that if I can, unless I see a blaring issue. Yeah, no, I get it. But I think one of the advantages that we have here, you know, in, in the airlines, um, co-pilots and pilots are mixed up all uh, all year long. So you're flying with a lot of different people. You're seeing a lot of different techniques. And what we uh, what we have here that I think is advantageous is that we see a lot of different clients and they fly the airplane in different ways and we can take that information and share it with other clients sure we do that all the time yeah you know we see a really good technique and we can say try it this way if that's not working for you and you see a lot of light bulbs going on like that too. i have absolutely sat back there and learned something i kept my mouth yeah. shut and went i'm stealing that yeah me too <laughs> that's brilliant yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love it yeah yeah and on the flip co- uh, side of that coin too i think um some of the things that I've learned are things that I didn't think was possible. I mean, I was we were talking to a client just the other day that had a um, an attenuator come out in flight at cruise, really no indication other than an intermediate attenuator light, and he's got pictures of this thing actually bending in towards the engine nacelle. I mean, it's wild. It's crazy. I, I would not have thought that was possible because – when you look at the manual and you look at everything, all the descriptions of even the checklist of mm-hmm. an, an attenuator unlocked, you wouldn't you would think it's just going to blow into its hole. It's going to stay there. The the flow itself, there's no way that it's going to be of any danger. That's just flat out not true. This thing bent into the actual exhaust. Unbelievable. So you know, well now we can take that and pass that along to other clients, saying, hey, if you get an intermittent, right, you know, um, attenuator unlock light in flight. Stowing, it's a great idea because that's what the checklist says to do. But you might be considering a divert at this point because you don't know what's going on back there. And let me tell you a story about what happened to one of our clients. Right, right. I think that's really invaluable. And I think we we try to do that as much as possible by emailing each other about mm-hmm. some crazy stuff that the clients have maybe seen, you know, breaking issues or anything like that. I know the the original CJ had some, you know, interesting anti-skid um, issues that have popped up occasionally on clients with turning it on and off while they're rolling, you know, and there, there's some issues there, which were nice to be able to incorporate. Yeah. Anything like that that you can think of popped up recently? Uh, not recently, but I think another one of the things that we have is the ability to uh, look at the accident reports that come through. And we can bring, you know, the guys that are out there flying these airplanes, they, they got to they're on the move. They got to make their their living, and they're out there busy doing this stuff. And th- often they don't have a lot of time to re- do the research that we can. Right. And so when they come here, we can share that kind of information with them. What either something that's happened to another one of our clients, or uh, an accident. Right. And what kind of lesson can be learned from that? Unfortunately, you know? every time I read one of those accident reports, I think to myself, that could have been me. Exactly. I mean, there's no question. Oh, yeah. I could have done that. Yeah. 
And so the more the more of that kind of information that we can get to our clients, the better off they're they're going to be, the safer and they're more comfortable they're going to be in the airplane. Uh, I like that. I like yeah. that. Um, you know, this and this may be for another topic, another day, but I did want to kind of touch on to the. I know there's some animosity, you know, for a lot of our clients. They come in, they have some concerns about getting through the program. You know, what's my level of preparation um, if they haven't been flying the airplane? You know, and what I try to do is to impart, if the question comes up to me, I try to impart to them that, hey, we're here for you. Whether it's oh, yeah. an initial recurrent, you know, we're going to let you know right away where we think the weaknesses are, and let's work with them. You know, we're yeah. not going to just throw you to the wolves. We obviously have a set program that is a 142 certificate that's highly governed by the FAA. Um, you know, we have observations all the time. That's a set curriculum, but that curriculum is the minimum, and not right. And, and so that's the, the the mere point that you have to complete in order to successfully complete an initial recurrent course. But what seems to elude a lot of folks is the fact that they can do more. We can do more. We can work on those issues. Mm-hmm. You know, that might may or may not come up and get them cleaned up and to right. alleviate their concerns about going to training. You know, it's kind of like going to the dentist. Nobody, if you tell me you like going to the dentist, you're lying. But I think that's a good goal that we have is to try to make this a program where people want to come back because they know they're going to get something they can use. Right. It's not just another It's, it's different on. every time. Yeah. yeah. And and if we can encourage people to, wow, that's kind of interesting. That, that, so they, can, they, they want to get in the book to kind of get deeper into that system through the year and then they get back here. It makes more sense to them. I agree. And you mentioned, you know, uh, wow, how many uh, owner operators do we have that say, uh, "Boy, my instrument skills aren't where they want where I want them to be." Right. I'm going to come back in four months and, and do another couple sims, even though I'm not not for a check ride, just to keep my skills up. And, and you know what? Somebody that admits that right out the gate, professional pilot, oh. owner operator, they they get it immediately. Yep. And I think that they're going to have, just by the mere fact that they're aware of that, they're going to have a better chance of success. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just a fact. Yeah. And one of the things that uh, I, I picked up from you when I, I started here, and it just really reinforced everything I've been as an instructor, is that the, the client that comes in, the pilot that we work with, we, we are on a team with them. We're, they're, right. we're, we're their teammate. We're <laughs> yeah. not, they're not That's on a the great other way of saying it. Yeah, and yeah. so we want them to get through this program. Everybody here wants them to be successful so that they, we can help make them a better pilot. I agree. You know? All the way up to the first person they talk to on the phone to the mm-hmm. last person they talk to, which is the Czech Airman. Yeah. Is, is it, we are there. And I think we, you and I have had many discussions with clients in reference to that. Yeah. What, what, can I, what can we do yeah. with that's absolutely within our power to assist you to a successful conclusion of this. Yeah. You know, yeah. and sometimes that's an unsat. I mean, I I don't know how you handle it in your briefings, but in my briefings, I spend some time on that because it's it's very intimidating to discuss the fact that, you know, not every check ride goes the way it's supposed to. Sure. Everybody's entitled to a bad day. I've certainly had one. Yep, you know, too. anybody that's completely clean and has never unsat at a check ride, God bless you. Excellent work. Right. But I think for the majority of us We've had a bad day, sure, and can pinpoint exactly where the wheels came off, <laughs> exactly why, and never do that again. Right, you know. But for our clients, we've sat in rooms with them, and 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 I think they don't get that right away. Is that we'll do whatever we can. We will help you in ways that you hadn't even thought of mm-hmm. to have a successful conclusion. One of the things we're not going to sign you off here already. It's just a fact, right? You know, we're we're going to get you some more time until you feel comfortable. We want the check ride, if it unsats, to be a fluke. 
not an expectation. And that's what it seems like most of ours are, if, if not all of them. Uh, our, the guys in the training department, uh, uh, I'm one of them. Right. Um, when we submit a guy that he's ready for a checkout, we have to sign him off as an FAA uh, sign-off that he's ready yeah. for the checkout. A 142 instructor saying this guy it yeah. absolutely meets the standard. And so we, we are putting our reputation on the line. Right. And But as you say... Any day is a new day, and you could step on your toe. Yep. Easily. I would say 100% of the time that I've signed somebody off that was an unsatisfactory check ride, I was surprised. 100% yes. of the time. I didn't, never did I go, yeah, I kind of saw that yeah. coming. Yeah. No, I mean, right. it's, that's, that's, and I, I think that would take some of the intimidation out of that. Everybody hates check rides. You know, oh, yeah. I, I meet very few people that are cool cucumbers sitting in a check ride room. You yeah, know, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's a fact. You know, yeah. you are being evaluated. And I think, too, for Loft, which we come into contact, which maybe the larger 142 companies don't as much, is a lot of our folks are coming here, and this is the first time they've been through a formal training environment. Exactly. And it's it's odd. It's odd. You know, that's that's what caught me by surprise at American, was, what, what, you're going to fire me if I don't do this? I, I always get a cup of coffee when I show up to my training facility. Yeah. <laughs> free snack basket, you know, some coupons to the local bar. <laughs> but you say you're going to fire me if I don't pass the oral. Wow, that's a new one. <laughs> so I think, you know, for a lot of our folks, too, to be able to come to this environment and experience a formal training start to a formal training finish, I think it's great. I, you know, I think, mm-hmm. I think it probably, if... If it were up to me and, and I was waving a scepter around, it might be nice to bring that to the, you know, the Cirrus groups and the and the smaller airplanes to where they have sure. this. And I know that Cirrus embraced it. You know, hey, you guys got to go get some formal training. Yep. You know, I think the Cessna 400, that little Columbia, they had a formal training where the insurance companies went, hey, guys, you got to go learn about these airplanes. They're advanced. They're small single engine airplanes, but they're you, complex. You, they're complex, and yeah. you got to learn about this stuff because we don't want little smoke and holes all through the country. Right. And I think it proved very beneficial. Yep. Thankfully, the insurance companies do step up and hold their own on that one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, things that you see that uh, common common failures, or, you know, or common concerns that you would have before you you, it, you sign somebody it's, off. We, we've already talked about it. It's rushing yourself. Guys get into trouble when they rush themselves, and they they feel like because it's a jet. I've got to go fast, and you, you've got to do the opposite. Right. You've got to slow yourself down, and the word I like is methodical. You have to be very methodical as you go through these procedures because, you know, you can talk about it. You can have a real good handle on it where you're sitting in the classroom, but in that dark and stormy night when uh, <laughs> the, the, the lights are going off and the, yeah. the people are talking to you, bells are ringing, uh, it can be intimidating. So the, the better knowledge you have, and this sort of circles back around to, preparation before you get here if you have a real good solid handle on the the precise steps that you take if you have an engine fire or if you have, what are the memory items that i have to go through when the pressure's on you can revert back to your training right and that's the training that you've given yourself to start with agreed so take your time and just be very methodical as you go through through the systems. That's a, that's a great overall take, too. It's not anything specific. I mean, we certainly have specific areas where mm-hmm. people run into trouble, but that sequence of events or the, you know, the dominoes that start to collapse as right. these things start to go sideways is started by that that rush, that, that exactly. intensity of, of needing to accomplish. As I say, too, in my briefings, there's nothing wrong with holding patterns. Use them. 
yeah. spend 20 minutes in a holding pattern for all I care. Just don't yeah. hold it 300 knots. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> yeah. I, I think that the ideology that you can just stop for a second, mm-hmm. ask for delayed vectors, come up with a, a different plan, not not if something goes wrong today in the sim, because by the way, a lot's going to go wrong today, whether it's training <laughs> or checking. There's yep. going to stuff that's going to go wrong today. It's how you deal with that issue that really separates yourself out from a satisfactory day or an unsatisfactory day. And and more importantly, whether you're going to be safe and make it back or not. you know, the, Which is why we do this. Yeah, we, we, exactly. we, we don't want anybody on our watch to, to check right. out because right. this, this is highly unforgiving business that we're in. Yeah. And it's highly unforgiving of errors. And that's kind of the bottom line. I mean, this is not a uh, – the FAA doesn't, hasn't established a system so they can fail pilots. It's to be safe. Right. And, and I think that's one of the, the nice things about the, the ATP practical test standards. Um, you're unsatisfactory if you consistently violate the standards yeah. and you don't take any corrective action to get the airplane back. The preamble so, is a very important part of that yeah. document, without so question. The FAA – knows, and we as FAA representatives know as, as a TCE, that you're going to stub your toe as you go through this thing. You're going to be off your altitude. But if you recognize it and get the airplane back to where it's supposed to be, that's okay. Within those limitations. Yeah. Yep, I totally agree. Yep. I totally agree. Yep. Yeah, and and again, the, the the FAA document that is the practical test standard, and, and I know that they're, they're transitioning over now to the ACS as well mm-hmm. for the private. I think they're already up to the commercial. Right. Um, great document because what they've done now is they've infused the special emphasis areas, you know, icing conditions and taxiway signs and et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, into the actual document itself. It was a great document to begin with. And and that's a, a nice thing to say that because we're governed by that document, you know, how we interact with the client and how the client interacts with us. Right. It's terribly important. And I love it because it is the, it takes the ambiguity out of it. Right. But if you took the time to read that front portion, very telling, very helpful. Yes, it is. Yeah, um, rechain and retracking. Uh, common. I, I think that that is something that w- we've always dealt with is confusing to the client. Hey, just going to get some more training. Yeah. You know, everybody's entitled to a bad day. We're going to go get you trained on the things that didn't go well, and we're going to just do this again. You know, right. it's not the end of the world. Yeah. And in fact, as I've heard other Czech airmen say too, which I I've stolen and I love, is that you have to look at this as this is a good thing. You know, getting a little more training, there's nothing wrong with that. We all want that. So treat it from a positive attitude. You know, it's the ones that that get upset that I think that by the time they realize that the upset's not helping them and that they're, you know, going home and mowing the grass and realizing, you know, I I sure could have done that better. Yeah, that that is growth, in my opinion. And interestingly enough, it takes the pressure off of that that recheck. They seem to be much more relaxed in the recheck. (laughs) I agree. I agree. I agree. Well, was there anything else that uh, that you wanted to chat about? I mean, I had some topic points that I thought maybe we should cover. Uh, I know we're going into winter. We got some winter ops. I know a lot of people are, you know, gearing up for that. Um, de-icing fluid, you know, just don't don't fly an airplane with ice on it. Please right. don't. It has been proven time and time again that it is a terrible idea. I know glycol is expensive, but so is dying. <laughs> <laughs> just, just get the airplane de-iced, get it yeah, melted. Yeah, any, absolutely. Any words of wisdom on that? No, just and I, I, that's one of the things that we help guys find here is where do you find that information? Right. Where, how do you de-ice the airplane? Where, where would you get that? Right. And we, so we point them back to the flight manual and help them get to that point so they can fi- find it on their own later on. And sometimes you just can't go. 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. don't go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, pushing back at the client. I mean, that's that's I, that's one of my favorites too in the performance section is to get in and start talking about the fact. Okay, your boss says you're going. It's Aspen. It's 90 degrees outside. He's not leaving his golf clubs. So, and you just filled up with gas because you're going to California. How are you going to make this work? You know, and some of that is maybe pushing back a little bit and saying, you know, boss, we're just going to have to go tomorrow morning. I'm sorry. This is, this, this doesn't work. You know, that's exactly what came up as we started talking at the beginning of this session with our 20,000 hour guy and our 2,500 hour guy. The 20,000 hour guy was able to say exactly that. He says, yeah. yeah, as many times I've told my boss, no, we're not going. Right. You, you had to be here at eight o'clock and, for and, us and to And the world did not stop. No. And right. so the 2,500-hour guy said, oh, okay. Because <laughs> I, I say it. yes all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I had a time machine. I'd go back and say no a couple of times. <laughs> so. Well, Dell, I really appreciate you coming out and chatting with us. Sure. Um, Happy you know, to. In, as always, um, um, it's just a pleasure to have you here. And, Happy uh, to be here. And I, I can't wait for other clients to meet you and pick your brand a little bit. Come on in. We'll be here. Thanks, Dell. Appreciate it. Thank you, buddy.